Fall weed control can often determine the outcome for next year's crop. Joining us on this episode of FieldLink is Mark Whalen. He is the brand manager for the Helena Products Group. And Mark's going to talk to us about the importance of fall burndown in your crop. Plus, Jody Lawrence joins us from Nashville. Stay tuned for this episode of FieldLink. And welcome to FieldLink. I'm your host, Bill Smith. On this episode, we're going to dive into the world of fall burndown. Lots of things to consider as we're, you know, focused right here in the fall time. And joining us today in the FieldLink uh, studio is brand manager Mark Whalen. Mark, welcome to FieldLink. Yeah, yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you, Bill. Hey, Mark, it's a it's a, it's fall time. A lot of producers across the country, they've been pretty active, you know, between harvesting and, and a lot of them have already been, you know, burning a lot of their weeds down uh, for fall production. But, uh, you know, why, why is a fall burn down so important for, you know, agronomic purposes? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You mentioned that um, folks have been busy um, in the, with the fall burn downs, and that's absolutely correct. A lot of the fall burn downs start to happen uh, really shortly after harvest, according to how much weeds were present there at the harvest time and then, and then shortly after. But, you know, the, I think sometimes the misnomer is we call it fall burndown, but really it has to do more with um, is there opportunity to spray if I have a weed problem at that time. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, the temperatures and being able to get good weed control. But in a lot of cases, folks will, will come in shortly after harvest and they'll notice they've got a lot of weeds so shortly after, it probably pays to go ahead and take care of those bec- before they become a, more of a problem the next right. spring. Uh, and in some cases, they may not have very many, and it, it may be they may be able to wait until the springtime. But a lot of times, it's it, it has to do with with what's in the field at the time of harvest. And as long as the temperatures are high enough, um, and I'm I'm assuming we'll probably talk about some of that during right. this during this podcast, but. Um, it's not a bad time to try to get get control of some of those weeds. Yeah. Well, so what are, what are some good? You mentioned you know timing is everything, and you know a lot of our listeners across the country, you know, it, if if you're if you're in the Delta, if you're in Louisiana, you've already harvested some time ago. You've possibly already done your a lot of your your burn down, or maybe you're continuing it on. And but you mentioned temperature. Temperature is pretty important uh, when considering a fall burn down program. You know, what are some ideal conditions environmentally uh, for burning down your weeds? Yeah, well, we know from just controlling weeds in general that weeds need to be actively growing at the time that we're trying to control them, uh, or they need to have the capacity, whether it's in the soil or whether it's from a post-emerge standpoint, to be able to um, intake that herbicide uh, be able to translocate it to where it needs to go in the plant to kill that plant. And so um, it's important to have the temperatures in the right range for that activity to occur. And just, you know, you have to speak in generalities here sure. because there's a lot of different herbicides, a lot of different families, a lot of different modes of action, and the way these herbicides work, and then what you have in the tank with them that plays an important role in that. But But in general... You, you're going to want to have um, we uh, temperature somewhere in the area between 55 degrees Fahrenheit and probably no lower than 40 degrees Fahrenheit okay. for the best uh, opportunity. 
And a lot of times uh, in the in the fall period, we we get a lot of those temperatures. Uh, you know, we talk about fall, but even into the winters and in, in winter in parts of the country, you've got temperatures that are mild enough, warm enough, sunny days that right. you can do some fall burn down and do a good job of it, and um, get ahead of it of your spring work that you got to do. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Kind of if you're in that. If you have that window, uh, you can get ahead of that curve a little bit and take advantage of some of that time maybe and, and, and beat those weeds back a little bit more often, yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit more about, uh, you know, some things to consider, um, what kind of weather conditions. We talked a little bit about that, but what other typical weeds are eh, present uh, during that time of year? Yeah, well, we, weeds can be um, certainly problematic in the springtime and um, whether we control them in the spring or the fall, the the direction is is let, let's control the weeds so right. we have an easy time with our planting. Um, we don't we don't utilize all of our moisture up and our our um, nutrition that we have in the ground. So waiting until the spring a lot of times allows um, allows the weeds to um, get up and start bolting. And we may miss the opportunity for an optimum spray because of spring moisture that we, we typically get that time of the year. So spring in, spring in the fall gives us an option to get ahead of all that work. Um, certainly the weather conditions are going to play a, a big role in timely applications. Uh, those rains, like I mentioned, in the spring, uh, when you want to get out there and you get, right. get started and, and really feel like you're doing something, and here we go, we get, we get a week of rainfall and we're delayed probably past the optimum timing, yep. and we miss miss a lot of those opportunities. So, um, you know, fall applications may help us with that situation that all of us face, uh, that all all of the all growers face. Um, and and when you have em- heavy infestations, um, such as you know, you mentioned some of the some of the weeds you might have in the fall sure. that you want to get a hold of. Or, Things like a lot of the winter annual and some of the perennial or biennial weeds, mm-hmm. mare's tail, henbit, um, you know, dandelion, chickweed, pennycress, and even Italian ryegrass, um, among many, many others, can if you if you don't if you have a high infestation and you don't uh, spend some time uh, and dollars in controlling those can be problematic in the spring. Right. And, you know, um, we have the opportunity during the fall to, to really look and choose our herbicides, maybe with more flexibility sometimes than we have in the springtime. Um, you know, we can look at selective and non-selective products during the fall, um, herbicides with different modes of action. Some of them may have some residual. Some of them may not have residual. But the point is that you have a, a, a lot of flexibility during this time of the year to, um, to consider what you're going to spray there without, you know, having to consider the crops around you at that time. Right. So um, the flexibility is pretty high in the fall. And, you know, in, in, in most cases, um, we have that good window of opportunity to spray really from the time we harvest um, up through the fall and into the uh, winter months, as, as long as we have the correct temperatures or good temperatures is what I mentioned earlier. Sure. And then obviously based on the weeds and the sizes and the weather conditions, all of those things have to go into consideration. 
Yeah, there's a there's a whole lot to consider when you consider a fall burn down. You mentioned getting ahead of the curve a little bit, buying you time. And I think there's also some agronomic pieces here that we often overlooked. You know, if if we've got active, you know, weeds out there kind of aggressively growing, they're still robbing the soil what might be left from a nutritional standpoint. And that's just, you know, robbing the soil yeah. for next year's crop as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that and you know the goal going in is is really when you start looking at it is is really to to start clean. We always talk about whether you're controlling in the spring um, or in the in the fall. We, we want to start clean when we right. plant, uh, and that's that's a big issue. And you you really want a, a seed bed that's free of weeds. Um, you don't want hassles at planting time. Um, and you know most of all of this, you can have some of those issues when you're dealing with our minimum till and no-till fields. Right. Um, and, um, you know, one weed that comes to mind, mare's tail can, can be a, a really big issue. Mm-hmm. Mare's tail is a plant that sometimes it doesn't know whether it wants to be a, a winter annual or whether it wants to be a spring. And it, can, it has such a long window germination period, and then it can really kind of be in a, a, a rosette stage, a small weed, and then... As you get some warm temperatures in the spring, it'll just bolt up and cause a big issue. So, you know, mare's tail is problematic, and we we do a good job. It's a, it's a weed that you actually have a little bit easier time, believe it or not, controlling in the fall months mm-hmm. versus the spring because of that. If you, if you miss the ideal opportunity, if it rains and you miss it, it can bolt and grow so quickly. It can get out of hand before you're able to control it. So... Fall applications to control mare's tail is a really smart uh, thing to do. And if you've got a history, um, if, if you know that you've got a mare's tail issue, you've had some misses in the past, you probably have a high seed bed, a fall burn-down applications to get control of that while it's still a small plant is probably a really, really good idea and something that you need to talk to your Helena folks about. Well, definitely. And, and you touched on something earlier, too. By taking advantage of this fall time, we don't have the pressure of, of uh, oh, my neighbor's crops over here. I, I don't have to worry so much possibly about, uh, you know, uh, some borders and that so much, sort of thing. So also increasing the ability to, you know, spread out our chemistry diversity is an important uh, area. Uh, we're not relying on that one hit come springtime necessarily. Right, it, it, exactly. Um, you know, when you when you get to the spring and you got a lot of different crops going in the field, uh, you, customers got a lot on their minds. Right. Growers are trying to plant this, plant that. Um, everything that uh, everything that they can do to make that a little bit easier in the spring is really important because they don't want to get bogged down in problem fields. Um, when you get to the spring, the other thing that, that often happens is um, the weather interferes and you can't, you can't get into the field when you need to and you miss those optimum opportunities. So, um, no, that's, a, that's absolutely um, huge. So being able to um, use fall applications to get, get a start on the spring is really smart. And we see a lot more growers doing that today maybe than they've done in the past some of that has to do with the amount of, of minimum till and no-till acres. Right. 
but at the same time, it's just it's a good agronomic practice, and it allows them a little more freedom in the spring um, that they don't have to devote all their efforts to. Well, especially if we're uh, if you're farming in some of those more drier areas where moisture, you know, can be at a premium. Uh, taking care of your weeds in the fall time just really just protects that overall moisture too and uh, that's often overlooked for some of those growers specifically out in the yeah. western corn belt yeah absolutely uh, mark tell us a little bit about you know it's it's time to select a product you know what are what are some things that growers should consider when selecting the right kind of product or combinations of products for a burn down application yeah yeah, the, the, one of the most important things that, that has to happen is um, you have to get out there and you have to know what you're dealing with. Um, so, so it's really important to start with the scouting of the fields to know what kind of weeds you have, what, what the level of pressure is, and if you have broadleaf weeds or if you have grasses or if you have a combination of, of both. It's, it's really important to, uh, to do that. And start doing that uh, right after harvest, because in a lot of cases you'll already have them. If not, um, with the with the free up of the canopy and uh, more sunshine, being able to get to the to the um, ground, uh, you'll probably shortly after that start to have some of your uh, fall weeds germinate. So it's it's extremely important to scout those fields. Um, you know, starting with uh, just right after harvest. The other thing is just your general knowledge of your field in the field history. Right. What, what have you dealt with in the past um, in that particular crop um, over the course of the last several years? What weeds have been problematic for you? Um, just in more recent months, uh, did you have a, an immediate problem this past year? Well, did you miss weeds? Because a lot of times that gives them an opportunity to seed and to, um, th- that'll give you a good indication of what's coming for the next year. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is just to un- understand all that and have a, a good consultation with your Helena professionals to design, based on your knowledge of those fields and what you have, design a burn-down program that's going to be effective for you, and um, it's going to take care of those weeds early and allow you more freedom in springtime. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, you know, connecting with your Helena representative to identify what weeds are present uh, because there's different solutions, right, Mark, in terms of how we may want to handle, for example, you mentioned mare's tail versus henbet. There may be some different products, uh, tank mixes and so forth to consider. Yeah, absolutely. So with your, um, say, for instance, you have a lot of uh, winter annual broadleaf weeds, um, and you can categorize them uh, normally by what activity certain herbicides have on them. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you an example, there's just a whole host of broadleaf weeds that are, um, you can get better control maybe with a dicamba-containing product. Okay. And others um, are, you'll get more effective weed control with a 2,4-D or 2,4-D ester-type product. So a knowledge of those and which our Helena professionals have that sure. information. They know that, and they can make the rec- best recommendation. In some cases, you may, uh, in, the, in the fall time, you obviously want to go with an, a 2,4-D type ester product, which we've, we've sold a product called Barrage HF for many years. Um, 
uh, dating back, I think, to 1998. It's okay. been a, an extremely important product in our portfolio and a large product in our portfolio because of what it brings, uh, particularly in burndowns um, and for fall burndowns. It makes a lot of sense. There's different types of 2,4-D, but generally speaking, when weather conditions are a little on the cool side, esters are always going to be your sure. first choice outside of um, 2,4-D amines or even the even acid formulations. Esters work really good in under those conditions, and that would be a choice. So there's a whole host of um, winter annual, winter biennial weeds that 2,4-D is going to do a great job on. But then there's other ones that may be weeds that may be a little more problematic, like thistles, some clovers, a few other weeds where dicamba might be important. Mm -hmm. So in some cases, you might consider a straight goods dicamba. But if you really want to um, hedge your bets and, and get control of the, of the biggest uh, or the most versatility, you would go with maybe a combination of a 2,4-D and a dicamba, something like a product we have in Platigo Bold which again, we've sold for a long time. It's our combination product that has both 2,4-D uh, acid and dicamba acid. Okay. And um, in those cases, uh, it's gonna do a fantastic job um, controlling um, just about all of those types of winter annual weeds. Right. So let, let's step back a little bit uh, to uh, Barrage HF. You mentioned um, been, been on the market for a while. We've got a great history with that product. And it's important to point out that not all 240s are the same. And one of the things that makes Barrage HF different is the formulation technology, Solvex. What can you tell us a little bit about Solvex formulation technology and, and how does it make Barrage HF perform a little bit better than other 240s on the market? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And certainly we've had the, that advantage for a long time. Um, you know, 2,4-D esters, there, there's several different types of 2,4-Ds. Um, there's the 2,4-D acids, the 2,4-D uh, amines, and then you have the 2,4-D esters. Um, esters respond very well to certain, uh, we'll call it seed oils and or methylated seed oil type blends or mixes, uh, more so than they do even to petroleum solvents. Most all of the 2,4-D esters that are on the market today, certainly that I'm aware of, are all based on petroleum solvent systems. Okay. And they're used to dissolve the, the active. Um, and they, they come in the ester form. And um, they do what they're intended to do, but uh, a big chunk of what's in the gallon really has no functionality as far as we control. It's more of a carrier. So a lot of the a big portion of the gallon that's in a, a say a generic 2,4-D ester really doesn't have any functionality when it comes to weed control. Um, compare that to a product like Barrage HF, which it has no petroleum-based solvents, but it has blends of certain um, seed oil-based materials in it that are um, highly lipophilic and they help the ester get into the plant quicker and more efficiently and um, we've had that advantage since the very beginning it was a different way and a novel way to um, 
to supply a 24D ester to our customers that set it apart. And we've had so much success and not from, um, not, not from our marketing and not from our sales ability, but from the performance and the repeatability, it, it's customer driven. Right. Our customers, our growers love the product and that's what's driven the success of that product. And uh, definitely having that Solvex formulation technology helps the performance of Barrage HF based on the uniqueness that you pointed out. It absolutely does. It, it sets it apart. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's no other product like it on the market, and there hasn't been from the beginning. Um, it's a true differentiated product, and a lot of people say, well, it, it's 2,4-D ester. How can you really make a difference there? Again, I would port back to the success that we've had, and it's it's based on our customers' repeat purchase of that product because they love it, uh, and it works, and it does what they need it to do. Right. That's great. Mark, you also touched on Latigo Bold as another potential solution for fall burndown. Um, tell us more about Latigo Bold, and it has Moveo formulation technology. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's a little different approach than we have with a 2,4-D Aster product. But um, if you look at really a, a lot of the auxins that are available to us today, and let's take into consideration both 2,4-D and dicamba, um, they, they come, they're, they're technical or the active part of the ingredient comes as an acid. And... Um, Acids can be difficult to solubilize, and um, you're you're not going to have an acid formulation um, dissolved in in petroleum-type products um, that are going to be effective like like Latigo Bold. So Moveo is essentially uh, a non-petroleum-based system that uh, is able to dissolve those acids. And then it has a lot of other components into it that uh, helps the herbicide to get into the plant more efficiently, more effectively. It helps with the mixability when we're, you're very seldom are you mixing just one product. Right. Uh, with water, uh, most of the time we have three, four, five, even six products mixed in there. So uh, the technology allows for greater flexibility uh, and then greater all activity and performance uh, due to the package that's in there. Yeah, and I think, again, a little bit like Barrage, uh, Latigo Bold is different. It's different than a lot of other dicamba-type products that are on the market, and it all comes back to the formulation technology. The other thing that um, a lot of folks don't talk about, but what, what is the active form of these auxins, and uh, what's the active form of 2,4-D, and what's the active form of dicamba, it's actually the acid. So mm-hmm. if you're spraying a, a, an ester or you're spraying an amine product, well, once it gets into the plant, the plant has to um, it has to turn it into an acid in order for it to uh, be a successful herbicide. Um, we're essentially bypassing that with delivering the herbicidal form to the plant, and that's what uh, Moveo is all about. Right. It skips that step, essentially, and uh, goes right to his job of knocking down those weeds. It absolutely does, yeah. yeah. Mark, um, you know, w- what are some management practices that will, I guess, help, uh, help growers ensure, you know, the best performance and outcome 
when using some of these products? Um, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, success starts, um, it starts right there in the field with the, with the owner, operator. Um, yeah. Who knows the fields better than, than they do? Right. And it, it comes from right after harvest is just scouting those fields. Um, so you get out there after harvest and you don't see much. Um, don't just rest on your laurels. Get out, right. get out there two weeks later, see what you have germinating. So scouting the fields probably is the most important step that you can sure. take, um, knowing what you got and when you got it and what are the conditions around you. Knowing that field history is part of that. Um, knowing what problems or, or, and or what successes that you've had over the last few years in controlling weeds in that field. It all goes into a successful recommendation for when you are going to spray. Um, do you have winter annual pressure? Is it, is it low or, or is it high? Do you already have weeds even before you harvested and now they really, really show up after you harvested? You got a green tinge to the field. Right. It's important to know know those things. Um, was was the was the density already at harvest high, or was it extremely low? Um, do you have a res, uh, any history of resistant or tolerant biotypes out there? Do you have weeds that are tolerant to glyphosate, or do you have weeds that are tolerant to any chemistry, or maybe two four D has started not working as well. That may be an indication that we may need to put some dicamba or even another chemistry in there. And um, um, what, what are the factors that might impact a timely spring application? Um, if, you have a, if you have a low spot in the field or you have a field that tends to hold water more, uh, stays colder longer, um, in springtime, you're going to have a lot higher probability to have moisture and water. Uh, in that case, if it's dry and you've got pretty warm temperatures during the fall or winter, that might be a time to start your weed control and not take a, a chance on not being able to spray it right. in the spring. So th those are some of the things that I would say, but I think it all starts with scouting and, yeah. and knowing the history of your field is absolutely. Wow. Mark, what what's to come? What are, what's what's on the horizon? What's in the pipeline? I guess for the future, uh, as it look as we take a look at some of these products and so forth. Yeah. Well, you know, I mentioned earlier that um, our barrage HF, our two four D value added ester formulation, has been around uh, for a while, and we've been looking at that for a number of years, and. Um, you know, the, the one thing that we always pride ourselves in is, is we've always tried to improve because if you're not improving, you're probably falling behind. Right. And, and I think over the course of the last, last several years, we've, we've thought intensely about, is there, is there anything that we could do to improve the overall product, Barrage HF, whether it's with handling, mixing, overall performance and I think the the answer is yes there there are some improvements that can be made and um, I'm I'm happy to, to say that we we've got a, a new formulation that'll be coming out that will probably have um, some availability in late sure. 2024 and then for 2025 and it's a product that we're gonna call Barrage Evo we're extremely excited about so 
all it does is it takes Barrage HF to even a new level. And so that's exciting. Right. It's exciting for us, obviously. Yeah. But it, it's also going to be really exciting for customers um, to be able to take a, a product that has been so so beneficial over time and, and even improve it more. So uh, we can't wait to get that one out. Well, and, and I think you, you pointed it out well. Barrage HF has been a, a phenomenal product for us, still is a great, dependable market leader. And we're really, quite frankly, taking the best on the market, and we're going to be making it better as we introduce Barrage Evo next uh, season. Mark, uh, help us sum this whole thing up. You know, uh, how can we make things easy as possible as growers are wrap, wrapping up uh, harvest and and uh, going to take a look at their fall burn down in many cases, and and some have already started. But what are some what are some quick tips here? Yeah, I, I think just just the uh, remembering all the benefits and the things that uh, controlling weeds early and potentially controlling them in the fall versus waiting on the spring. If those could be top of mind, then you're going to be in a great situation. And I think, I think being able to consult with someone, mm-hmm. consult with your helmet professionals that they they live this, they, right. they they do it all the time. They've seen uh, what works and what doesn't work. And so those there's an equal amount of, of information that can be shared yep. there on both sides to to make great recommendations. But I think you know getting getting hold of the and controlling the weeds early um, you know we've already talked about it allows for better workload management in the spring but the other things we hadn't even touched on is you know we want those we want those soil temperatures to get warm as quickly mm-hmm. as possible if you've got a bunch of trash out there you know are you whether it's green or not green um, you're going to delay how fast your soil heats up in the spring right that can make a huge amount of difference. Um, if you leave weeds all winter long, you wait to spring, then you're not only um, allowing them to use up value, what could end up being very, very valuable moisture, but also the nutrients. you got to remember those That's weeds right. are taking up nutrients as well. Um, and then the other thing that I'll just mention, and um, we, we know it to be true, there's, there's so many, you can just go on the internet and, and read it, but you know, trash in the field, um, specifically weeds and winter annual weeds, they're a, they, they can harbor a lot of uh, you know things that can end up being devastating for the next year, uh, various insects and diseases. Man, if we can just if there's an opportunity, we can get get control of that early on. We do away with those um, with those areas where those those other pests can get in there and yeah. kind of get um, take root and then have an impact on our operation. Sure. Well, Mark, those are some great tips, you know, as growers uh, are in the thick of things at fall right now, um, as we're recording this podcast here in middle of October. Uh, certainly many growers are, are, are well into their fall burn down. Others are really just getting started. And uh, taking some of these tips can really, you know, get them set up great for uh, next spring. Mark Willen, brand manager for Helena Products Group. Thanks for joining us here on this episode of Field Lake. Welcome to this week's edition of the FieldLink podcast. I'm Jody Lawrence, the Strategic Trading Advisors, and Bill Smith is on the road this week, but co-hosting with me 
is Brady Lawrence, Vice President of Strategic Trading Advisors. Welcome to the podcast, Brady. Thanks for having me. Well, we've got a lot going on. Last Thursday, we had the USDA report with the latest yield update. We have a new wrinkle in all the Middle East tensions with the Israel and Hamas uh, problems that are going on. And it seems like a, a, a new war and a new front with the invasion of Hamas into Israel last week that's sending the uh, energy markets and into a lot of turmoil and volatility. So, and as harvest moves along, we've got several different factors moving and what's determining price right now. Brady, what did we find out about harvest today? Well, harvest is moving along a little ahead of expectations for soybeans, but right along for corn. Corn seen harvested at 45%. Last year at this time, we were at 42%, so a little bit ahead of last year. And beans harvested at 62%, which is ahead of expectations, and 10% ahead of where we were last year. And we have not, uh, the farmers I've spoken to, and Brady, you can uh, tell me what you're hearing, but the farmers I uh, have spoken to to this point since we're a little bit past halfway on beans and, and just about at halfway probably today, on corn is that uh, the farmers in the eastern corn belt were uh, happy uh, and a little above expectations for their yields, while everybody in the western corn belt was uh, good and uh, good in spots and uh, not good in spots. Uh, the inconsistency, I think, we're finding certainly in the areas that were hit with the drier spring and the drier uh, late summer weather. So. The this lent itself to what the USDA updated us with last Thursday in their October update with national corn yield coming in at 173, 173 bushels per acre when the estimate, trade estimate was 173.5. So we got a little bit bullish surprise out of that. And corn is back up, December corn's back up testing the $5 uh, futures level. And on beans, the bean yield estimate came in at 49.6 from the USDA, while the industry had an average guess of just under 50 at 49.9. So two bullish surprises, which, uh, or mildly bullish, I'd call them, which was certainly helpful to everybody's attitude because it seems like the last several USDA reports, they've ganged up with the bears to keep pushing prices lower. Uh, despite the fact that their uh, condition reports are lending themselves that the yield should be lower than 173 uh, and a, and a right at a 50 bushel yield. So uh, those numbers are what the trade is uh, trading right now. And two big psychological factors moving in as every farmer has got a lot of extra harvested bushels to sell if they've run out of space is that December corn has run up against $5, but not uh, been able to punch through it. 499 and three quarters was last week's high, while beans uh, briefly uh, flirted with $13 and uh, saw a lot of hedge pressure at those two psychological levels. And we're seeing some interesting basis plays across the country that we're seeing much better corn fall delivery basis 
than we are for beans in a lot of different regions, which we really don't have a good explanation of yet, other than uh, it, apparently what we're seeing, the, uh, the, the obvious is that farmers are storing their corn and delivering their beans, which would make sense to why you have that discrepancy in yields. Brady, what are you seeing and hearing from uh, the customers we're talking to? Yeah, similar to you, uh, Eastern Corn Belt, um, people we talk to, Illinois, Indiana, they're happy with what they've got. Seemed like they had the timely rains and avoided too much blistering heat during the important time in the growing season. So they're very happy over there when the Western Corn Belt, some areas got some rain, a little bit of rain, just enough to help make a decent crop. And then some areas, they're just, there's nothing there. It's been hot and dry going back even past this year to where they couldn't really make up in places like Western Kansas to where they're going to not be too happy, but they kind of saw the writing on the walls early on in the season to know what was going to happen. But yeah, um, just kind of lots across the board, a lot of variations, but I agree the 173 number from what we've heard definitely seems more reasonable than what some private estimates had all the way down into the mid 160s and all the way up to the high 170s. 173 seems, uh, I'll give the USDA credit, it seems more reasonable than that has in the past sometimes. Well, Brady, you're too young to realize that you simply can't say that the USDA is reasonable. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I say that tongue in cheek because uh, a lot of us have been in the business for a long time. Uh, we always see some head scratching numbers, but I do agree with you that uh, I think everybody breathed a real sigh of relief on Thursday when the yields were trimmed. Uh, and cut even below expectations because I think there's always that scar tissue that builds up on USDA reports, especially when you start talking about when they get into their plots and they're pulling all of their yield data that uh, you're always afraid of the bearish surprise. So, uh, you know, a good start and certainly a good place to help build some seasonal yields or some seasonal bottoms for as these markets try to crawl back higher. One of the things that you do get with that is obviously some people are getting a few more bushels, uh, but if you get more bushels and the price goes down, uh, the ratio pretty has stayed very consistent that the uh, income per acre has not uh, been uh, hurt too bad by the falling prices as the yield has been a little bit better than everybody expected. But one of the big things that we're watching now are the outside markets, and it's almost impossible anymore to separate what we consider basic fundamental uh, agriculture information, you know, weather, production, and uh, export totals from what's going on in the rest of the world and certainly the issues in Israel with Hamas and what could develop in the Middle East. We've seen crude oil rally, you know, five, six dollars and then it pulled back and it's down a little bit more today. But we have crude oil back in the mid uh, 80, you know, mid 80s at uh, 85, uh, 66 current trade today. 
while diesel futures in December have moved back over $3. And crude oil in the last six to eight weeks has rallied almost 30 uh you know, 33, 35% from the mid 60s to the mid 80s. So fuel is definitely a concern uh, and it will be something that uh, until we can get some more clarity on what's going on with the Russian and Ukraine uh, plans and kind of how that war drags out into the winter and what goes on since Hamas is believed to be largely funded by Uh, the Iranian government. If Iran does get involved in this and additional sanctions do hit Iran on their production and their ability to export their oil production, we certainly wouldn't be surprised if oil had an upside somewhere in the $92 to $98 a barrel range. So any pullbacks that you see from uh, or lower prices from your supplier certainly uh, be Looking at that as a good hedge opportunity to top off your tanks when we get to, uh, you know, so you can start looking ahead to the end of fall, what you'll need for the winter and also potentially even some early spring. And Brady, I see today that the dollar is down another 400 and we're off the highest levels. Uh, What do you think is going on with? U.S. dollar when you look at the big picture of the U.S. economy and also the world? Well, I would say it's due to recent events and uncertainty, but considering the dollar's basically been going up since early August, there's obviously other factors involved with what everyone seems to think is a pending U.S. recession sometime in the first half of 24 or the U.S. government potential shutdowns, there seems to be a lot of outside factors and noise that just keeps driving the dollar up while also hurting our own economy in ways that might play out down the road. Yeah, the the dollar has been a challenge because even though we're, you know, roughly, uh, you know, you know, about one, one and a half percent above the highs from October. When you look at the dysfunction uh, in Washington with the uh, House of Representatives not having a speaker and unlikely to have one anytime soon, which stops both bodies basically from being able to do any work. And you have what's going on with the looming government shutdown again. I believe it was in November 15th, kick the can down the road deadline, uh, and what's going on potentially in Israel with our ally over there. You've got a lot of outside factors that make finding or even anticipating fair value for uh, the U.S. dollar, how it could ripple over into interest rates, what's going to happen with treasuries, and so many things on what the Federal Reserve has uh, more factors to consider now on whether they continue to raise rates or uh, or they're going to take a pause to, and hopefully looking at the economic numbers, especially the employment numbers might be heading for a soft landing. But an awful lot of things uh, to talk about, uh, unusually high level, especially this time of year when all we're usually talking about is harvest progress and what those yields are looking at. So Brady, anything else that you are seeing out there that we need to make it everybody aware of? 
no, I would just say keep an eye on uh, the Mississippi River. We were lucky to be in Memphis recently visiting some family, and they're saying that in Memphis it's at the lowest point it's been historically, and everyone can remember the fallout of what happened with that, you know, the previous record low, which I believe was last year. So just that would be something to keep an eye on as well uh, moving down the road. Okay. Well, I appreciate it, Brady. Thanks for standing in for Bill. And uh, anybody that needs to get in touch with either one of us, please reach out either through the newsletter. Uh, my email is jblawrence at comcast.net. Um, Brady, what is your contact information? Uh, my email is blawrence at rcmam.com. Okay. Well, Brady, thank you. And everybody out there in the combine, uh, be safe and get harvest finished and have a great week. Thanks for listening to this episode of FieldLink. Be sure to talk to your Helena professional about Mirage HF as well as Latigo Bold for your fall burn down needs.